0: Welcome to Business Steps Up, a presentation of H-I-A-L-I, one of the recognized voices in Long Island business. We'll focus on cutting edge topics important to the Bi-County region and beyond. So sit back, relax, and listen to some of Long Island's most influential business leaders here on Business Steps Up.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to H-I-A-L-I Business Steps Up. We're in another edition, and I will tell you, this is a monthly live stream Situation where we're talking to prominent CEOs and really companies that have stepped up through COVID and, and beyond. So um, we're going to talk about the significance of nonprofits, what they look like right now on Long Island, what the, what what the future looks like for nonprofits on Long Island as well. And so appropriate, so appropriate that we have two leaders in the nonprofit um, sector. One is Paul Pactor, the CEO of Long Island Cares. And the other one is uh, Lee Silberman, who is the CEO of now Habitat for Humanity of Long Island. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, Thank for, you for having here.
0: us. Thank you for having us, Terry.
1: Yeah. You know, and I will say before I ask you to both to introduce yourselves, um, you know, I will say it's so appropriate, I think, really to talk about nonprofits, because as we went through COVID, you know, we saw our wow, talk about businesses stepping up, repurposing and you know, um, um, helping with um, COVID shots and face masks and hand sanitizers and things like that. And, you know, as you look at the nonprofit industry, if you look at uh, New York State, at least the last stats that we have is there's about 1.4 million people that are employed in New York State in nonprofits, wages of about 78 billion. That's not million, that's billion Right. So major significance. Um, In 2019, it was said about one hundred and fifty five thousand people were employed on Long Island from nonprofits. So significant, almost probably 18 percent, 15 to 18 percent of the sector right now. So, again, major significance. And these are organizations like the two of yours that do some magnificent work right, in healthcare and helping people and social services and things like that. So let's begin, and I'm going to ask you just to introduce yourself, give us a little bit of background on yourself, how you got to where you are as a CEO, and then tell us a little bit about your agencies, whoever wants to go first.
0: Okay, I'll start. So name's Lee Silberman, CEO of Habitat for Humanity of of Long Island. Um, Somehow I went from being an MIT grad to the head of a a nonprofit. Um, I spent 40 years in the for-profit sector running a textile distribution company that was based in Bayshore. Uh, The last 20 of those 40 years, our company was one of the largest supporters of what was then known as Habitat for Humanity of Suffolk. Um, I served on the board of directors. I was chairman of the board for five years I left the organization for about a year as I term limited out, and then about a year later, through a series of coincidences, um, I came. I was offered and accepted the position of CEO, which I took in uh, October first of
1: 2019. Great, and tell us a little bit about the agency itself. What does right. it say?
0: so at Habitat? Our mission is to bring people together to build homes, communities, and hope and our vision is a world where everyone has a decent place to live. Uh, We are a builder of of affordable housing. We are a hand up, we are not a handout. Our partner families will purchase the homes when they are complete. They'll purchase them at full market value, but through various programs and subsidies and so forth, uh, their mortgage will be affordable and their uh, total cost of housing will be approximately 30% of their family income which was the HUD definition of housing
1: affordability. Right. Well needed. Well needed, Lee, as, as you know, you know, absolutely better than we do. So how about you, Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, about yourself.
2: First of all, thank you, Terry, for inviting me to be on uh, the program along with my uh, good friend Lee Silverman. Uh, I have the pleasure of working with Lee in a number of uh, opportunities and programs that we share together uh, I am the chief executive officer of Long Island Cares and the Harry Chapin Food Bank. Uh, we are the regional food bank for Long Island and we provide emergency food support for 325 local community organizations that combined provide food assistance to approximately 250,000 people uh, here in Nassau or in Suffolk County. I came to Long Island Cares uh, 15 years ago Uh, I wasn't planning to leave my previous position, which was as Deputy Executive Director of Central Nassau Guidance and Counseling Services, but the opportunity uh, at Long Island Cares uh, was of interest to me. Uh, I was told about the opportunity by a friend while I was in Washington, D.C., on an advocacy trip with other nonprofits, and uh, I applied for the position. I was familiar with the organization from the time they opened up. Uh, In fact, I won't go into the story right now, but I was scheduled to meet with Harry Chapin on July 16th of 1981 in the afternoon, which is the day he lost his life on the Long Island Expressway to talk about Long Island Cares. So to find myself uh, here 42 years later uh, as the CEO of the organization, uh, in many ways, Harry heard what I wanted to tell him. Uh, (laughs) I have uh, spent, as I just said, I've spent 42 years working in the nonprofits here on Long Island, including a five and a half year uh, stint as the Deputy Commissioner of the Nassau County Department of Mental Health. But uh, I'm very much uh, thrilled to be here and to work uh, with the wonderful staff we have here at Long Island Cares. Uh, It provides uh, me and the team uh, numerous opportunities to work with the community. Uh, You know, one of the things I always uh, think about, Terry, when you and I are together at functions and events, if I wasn't at Long Island Cares, I would never have had the opportunity to meet you or know about the H-I-A-L-I. And so, you know, this organization and what I do has opened up numerous doors for me and for the team here. Uh, We're an organization that, in my opinion, in terms of uh, what we're able to do, we, we have no boundaries. Uh, if there's creative and innovative ideas on how we can better feed people who are hungry and work with communities where, where people are struggling, uh, we're gonna do it. And you know, I always tell people that Long Island Cares is not just a nonprofit food bank. We are a humanitarian organization. There are many things that we do that other nonprofits do not do. Uh, one of the things i'm most proud of uh, in terms of the team and myself is our interest and willingness to take risks uh, to move the organization forward and to continue to help those in need so i really appreciate this this opportunity because it gives me you know uh, another you know platform to share information about the organization and also to support and uh, you know talk positively about the hiali which is something very
1: near and dear to my heart thank you and you know we're blessed to have you both on Long Island um you know as you look at your stories and and Paul I don't know you've ever told me that story about Harry Chapin I'm not sure but um listen it's fate sometimes right that brings people together and moments like that and um, Mm -hmm. you you take it both take what you do very seriously because you understand the need so let's talk a little bit about that as you look at Long Island as a whole, it's an interesting place because you have pockets of extreme wealth, mm-hmm. and you have pockets right next door of communities that are extremely needy in certain mm-hmm. areas. So, talk to us a little bit about you. Obviously, Paul, with food depravity, and and Lee, you with affordable housing. What is the current state that you're seeing on Long Island? And let me preface that with well, mm-hmm. when you and I first met, I will never forget thinking like many people might well you know the people that need food are the ones that are homeless obviously mm-hmm. the ones that um just can't afford food and my dynamic and my perspective changed so dramatically when i met you because yes that's a piece of it right mm-hmm. but there were so many other people that are right on that borderline so talk nice. to us about the dilemmas in both situations well, it's
2: interesting because uh, you you said you know for me it, it's the catchword, the fact that there are pockets of poverty or pockets of affluence on Long Island. Uh, about 15 years ago, you know, after I got here, one of the things that uh, I realized is that how significantly Nassau and Suffolk County have changed from you know the time in the mid to late 50s up until now. There was a time, my opinion, that there were pockets of poverty on Long Island. But today I see it more as there are pockets of affluence while the remaining people that live in Nassau and Suffolk County are struggling. And, you know, oftentimes I'll say or the team will say, you know, so many people on Long Island are one paycheck away from needing the services of a food bank and during the first two years of the COVID pandemic, that really, Terry, was brought home so clearly. You know, up until COVID, Long Island Cares was providing support for probably somewhere around 250,000 people. But during COVID, we saw an additional 228,000 people, which jumped the number up to more than 480,000 people which you know is more than 10% of the population here on Long Island it's almost 20%. So that you know that that really is what makes me say that there are pockets of affluence right. because the majority of people on Long Island are living paycheck to paycheck and having trouble especially during these times of high inflation of making ends meet. And so the local community food pantries and food banks have become a lifeline for more than just the poor people. Uh, People are struggling, and sometimes people will come to a food pantry and need enough food to feed their families for five to six days, and other times people are coming just to get some fill-ins. It's almost like going to a corner grocery store. But that's why we're here. We're here to help people get through crises. Uh, As I've said many times, we oversee an emergency food network. It was never meant to be more than an emergency food network. But unfortunately, because of inflation, because of things like pandemics, because of things like natural disasters, Superstorm Sandy, we see that people don't have savings, that people don't have, uh, you know, that nest egg where they can, uh, you know, come through a crisis. And so the work that we do becomes more important of allowing people to maintain the quality of life that they're already in at that time, as opposed to, you know, losing it all or saying, I only need help every now and then. So, you know, the issue of food insecurity, in my opinion, is very significant in a very wealthy region of the state of the country. uh, And we've got to get it under control.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you, Paul, see that changing with what's going on now with inflation? And mm, I dare say that our word, I hate it, recession, mm-hmm. but where all signals are telling us we're moving unfortunately in that direction. What do, you, what do you see for the future?
2: Well, what we're seeing currently is about a 30% increase in the number of people that are going to the pantries uh, and the other emergency food programs. And again, as I said, people aren't coming for, you know, everything they need. They're coming, you know, for items that they just can't afford. You know, right now, if you go to the supermarket, a gallon of milk, you know, is almost $5. A box of cereal is almost $5. On top of that, we're paying close to $5 for a gallon of gasoline for our cars. We're paying more for health insurance. Uh, And so people do need, as Lee said earlier, the extra hand up just to get them through uh, the situation that we're in but inflation clearly has resulted in more people turning to emergency food organizations
1: than in the past yeah critical need absolutely how about yuli what are you seeing we talked we started to talk a little bit about COVID. what are you seeing in terms of a need with affordable housing and where do you see that need going
0: All right. Well, the need is huge. So the the HUD definition of housing affordability is a family shouldn't be spending more than 30% of their income on either rent or their mortgage taxes and insurance with their homeowner. Uh, Currently on Long Island, approximately 50% of all families spend more than 30% of their income uh, on housing. And an astonishing 20%, one in five of all families on Long Island are spending more than 50% of their income on rent. And you know, to what Paul was saying, when you're spending fifty percent of your income on rent, there is no money left over. There's barely enough money left over for food. There's no money left over for for medical expenses, um, any kind of you know other necessities, uh, gas at you know four and a half five dollars a gallon, so forth. And as I always say, you know, our families are you know they're just one unplanned event away from economic disaster. Right. Um, I like Paul's expression of there's pockets of wealth versus pockets of poverty. Um, according to um, Peter Van Skoyek, who's the uh, supervisor of the town of East Hampton, East Hampton has the highest poverty rate of all of the ten towns in Suffolk County. Mm. Now, one would never think about that, but um, you know it's true. Uh, We actually build in East Hampton. When I tell people we build in East Hampton and we build in South Hampton, people look at me like I've got you know four eyes. Um, But it's it's you know the need is critical. Um, I'm not sure what the latest figure is, but it's estimated that the affordable housing deficit in Suffolk County alone is is well over
1: forty thousand units. Wow, wow. So I'm shocked when you say. That fifty percent of those people—I mean—that that's a crazy statistic. In
0: terms, yeah, of- it's a crazy statistic. And look, you know, as part of the LIA, you know, we're so you know we're supporters of Long. You know, we're supporters of—I mean, part of the HIA, excuse me. Um, you know, we're supporters of the HIA. We're supporters of Long Island. We're cheerleaders for Long Island. But the fact is. A lot of people cannot afford to live here. Um, seniors are certainly moving because, you know, on fixed incomes to afford the property taxes is, is very, very difficult. And it's hard for the young people to, to stay here. There's been some in, inroads, um, but there's, you know, uh, our zoning is a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not enough zoning for affordable housing. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Long Island is, you know, is the king of one-acre zoning, and one-acre zoning, by definition, is not going to be, you know, affordable for the, you know, for the vast majority of people. So it's a deep, you know, it's a it's a big issue, and the issue is everywhere.
1: Um, Right. Yeah, I agree, and you know, yet what we see, and and absolutely, you know, we've identified the need, no no doubt. But what we do see is some movement in terms of, again, I don't know if it'll be affordable hopefully attainable, some sort of attainable housing, just in terms of some of the other things that you spoke about. Young people, the live, put, work, play, a lot of these developments that, that are up and coming right now that I'm hoping we're advocating for. I'm hoping our kids will see once they are in the mainstream and working and things like that. But the, absolutely a critical need. So how do you both go about, with understanding what a critical need you have in both areas how do you go about dealing with businesses and dealing with organizations and helping them understand how absolutely important it is to support organizations like yours because when you meet with a CEO right they're 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 thinking about revenue they're thinking about revenue streams rightfully so right they're running a business so what are some of the type of conversations you're having with people, but
0: I think now you know, for, for all organizations, now employee retention and employee um recruitment seems to be the number one issue. And the younger, you know, the younger members of the workforce, the millennials, the, the um, I'm not sure what generation it is that's graduating college these days, I've lost track of all the various names. Um, they're looking for an organization that gives back. They're looking for an organization that they can feel good about work, working for. So partnering with a nonprofit, whether it's you know, Long Island Cares, Habitat for Humanity, or any, you know, in Suffolk County alone, there's over 9,700 registered nonprofits. Um, I, think it's, I think just as a corporate strategy, partnering with one or more nonprofits is, is important for employee retention. Um, both of our organizations have very significant volunteer opportunities. So it's more than just writing a check. It it's, allows them opportunities for employee engagement, employee morale, and so forth. So that's the case that we tend to make, um, even more so than just the plain need. When I'm talking with the political people on Long Island, which I do on almost a daily basis, that's where I'm, you know, doing the more the need argument and, you know, you know frankly if if you know if our EMTs and firefighters can't afford to to live on Long Island no one's going to be able to live on Long Island soon
1: right so so talk to us while I have you here Lee about we talked a little bit before about some legislation coming down the pipe that that is important to an organization like yours talk to us about it
0: um, currently in front of the legislator, legislature legislature there's um, a bill to Um, create a a a database of all of the county-owned property that would be eligible to be um, uh, converted into you know developed for affordable housing. Um, We're a supporter of this legislation it's it would be help it will be helpful Um, and what this database would do is um, give the towns and the eligible nonprofits kind of a first look at what the properties are before the properties go off to auction. Um, In my dealings with various legislators, I do say that in my opinion, this is kind of a first step. Um, What I think truly needs to happen is county policy at the moment is when the county seizes land for back taxes, the default is to sell the land or home or whatever it is at auction to the highest bidder. Uh, in order for the county to generate revenue. Um, My argument is in the lowest 20, 25% of the census tracts on the island, the county is being penny wise and pound foolish. Uh, There are various studies that have been done by the Federal Reserve Bank and other organizations that show that the number one factor in community stabilization and community improvement is the rate of owner-occupied home ownership. Mm -hmm. So when in the lower income census tracts, the county is auctioning off the land, in most cases, what's going to happen is it'll be purchased by an investor in an absentee landlord situation. That does not help the community at all and actually tends to accelerate the deterioration of the community. So what I'd like the legislature to do is in the lower census tracts, make the default to develop the properties for affordable housing and and preferably owner-occupied affordable housing. And then only those properties that for whatever reason, the towns or the eligible nonprofits don't think can be developed, let those go to auction. And how is that going? Um, I have a few, few legislators that agree with me wholeheartedly. I've got one or two that disagree with me wholeheartedly. And of course I'm working on the middle. But one good thing about our message, it appeals to both sides of the aisle. So I have both very conservative legislators that are supportive and very liberal legislators that are supportive, Um, as well as on both sides, you know, a couple that are are not as supportive as I would like.
1: Well, um, good luck. I mean, we all know in our positions how important that is, right, is to advocate, particularly in your case, for this affordable housing, and you understand the impact. So good luck with it. Thank you. How about about for you, Paul? I mean, what are the types of discussions that you're having with organizations and CEOs to really help them understand how important that your cause and nonprofits in general are? Well, I
2: think most of my colleagues who are at the head of nonprofit organizations are experiencing the same thing right now. Lee alluded to it uh, earlier about the workforce. Uh, We are, despite inflation, uh, we are, you know in terms of being able to offer competitive salaries and being able to expand your organizations and even uh, improving your donor base, those things exist right now, even though we're looking at almost 9% inflation. Oftentimes, in speaking to some of my colleagues these days, I I always seem to go back to the same thing, Terry, and that is we run businesses. These are not just, yes, we're a charity. We understand that. We understand what having nonprofit 501 c c3 status means but we've got to be able to run our businesses the way for-profit corporations run their businesses we all have bottom lines we all know that you know at the end of the year we don't want to have a deficit in our budget Uh, if we can get a surplus you know year after year that's wonderful if we could make investments long-term investments to keep agencies afloat and thriving that would be important but, you know, many of us these days are challenged by what I call the revolving door syndrome of uh, staff. Okay. Em- employees are coming in, you know, working for five months, six months, and then going to another job. Uh, many of us that are doing hiring right now, uh, as I am and as others are doing, you know, the, the pool of people is starting to shrink uh, that want to come into the nonprofit field. And so you have to be very selective, and you have to be able to make decisions where you're bringing the best people on. And organizations are struggling with that. Many of them are also struggling with inflation, because those of us that own property, you know, have to maintain the property, we have uh, utility bills, just like any other, you know, business has. And so, you know, we're trying to sort of look at where can we how, how can we best do what we do in terms of providing services, and yet having it be affordable to the point that the organization is fiscally sound? And you know, there's sort of an unwritten rule uh, in the nonprofits that our organizations should have at least a six-month reserve fund, right. so that in case there's a disaster, or you know, God forbid, your building goes up on you know in flames. You've got enough money in reserves to run your organization. Problem is, many nonprofits don't have reserves. They don't have enough reserves. Uh, it's to me, it's dangerous at times when nonprofits rely upon their line of credit to get them, you know, through uh, month by month with their payroll and any other obligations they have to their vendors. So we have to. You know, we have to keep looking at finances. We have to run lean, mean, effective machines. That's the way I look mm-hmm. at it. Uh, and I and I think most nonprofits these days are coming to that realization, uh, especially those that rely so heavily on government funding yeah. to
1: operate. You know, at a time when, mean, the gover- when the government when the government doesn't have the funds, what can you do? Yeah, I mean, particularly that's a life lesson. I think that from COVID that came out of COVID for a lot of not only nonprofits, but businesses in, in general is um, regardless, we have to run things like a business. Number one mm-hmm. is what I heard Stanley Lee talked about absolutely appealing to a noble motive of, you know, get involved. This is what the young people want. They want a sense of community. They want to be involved. They want to volunteer, you know, that's what it's all about. And I think, you know, Paul, you came to me originally with this idea of starting this H-I-A-L-I, Social, Social Responsibility mm-hmm. Committee, right? And that's really yep. what the idea was, is how do we get more businesses involved in this and understanding how they can give back and understanding that mm-hmm. it's a responsibility to do that. So talk a little bit about, you're both co-chairs of that committee, talk a little bit about the committee. You've worked hard to get it started and you've had some really good programming. So, we're going to leave off that way. Believe it or not, we only have two minutes left. How did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, so the, commi- talk the committee, a bit about-
2: sure. The, look, the committee is focusing in on helping nonprofits understand the benefits of corporate social responsibility. You know, many of us go out and we want to raise money and we'll go, you know, to a major bank or a major lending institution or we'll go to a major business like an Amazon or a Target or Walmart. And there's a give and take. There's a reciprocal relationship when it comes to corporate social responsibility. Uh, Corporations have every right to ask nonprofit organizations what they're achieving, what they expect their outcomes to be. Uh, to, you know, tell a donor, a corporate donor that, you know, if you give me a donation of $250,000, this is what I'm going to be able to accomplish. And I'm going to be able to sustain this. And Lee and I have worked, you know, really hard to get the right corporate leadership into the committee to meet with people. And we've had some very robust and very enlightening conversations.
1: Thank you. How about you, Lee, for you? What have you seen through the committee? And
0: Oh, I, I, I agree with Paul I think you know the committee has two focuses one is to educate nonprofits that um, there has to be a quid you know there it is reciprocal that you know it's one thing to ask for money but but you need to give value back to the um, you know to the donor and then the others for the donor you know that you know part of giving is to feel good but the, you know there is a component you know of corporate um, giving that you um, that they do want something back. You know, they, they are expecting either a return on their investment. You know, if they're giving, you know, as I said before, there's 9,000 nonprofits just in Suffolk County. Um, you know, most corporate donors want to know that if they're giving the money to um, Group X, that that, you know, organization is going to use the money wi- you know, wisely. And something will actually be done for the, for the money. I want to just say one last thing. I know we probably have only a couple of seconds. I hate the word nonprofit. You know, we're, we're the only country that uses that. You know, in Europe, we're, um, it's called non-government organizations. Because the only difference between us and the for-profit businesses is we don't pay income tax on our profits, mm-hmm. but we do have to run our organizations as businesses. And it's important for donors to understand we need to run our organizations as businesses. We do have overhead. Donors hate to fund overhead, but if you don't fund overhead. There is no organization uh, to fund. And I can give examples of, of many organizations with that have no overhead and they also have no impact.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Listen, let's advocate to get rid of that word. That's a great, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. So um first let me say thank you both for not only what you do on Long Island, but um for really volunteering and chairing our committee. It it really helps our businesses so much. I don't think you realize just how much and how important it is for businesses to understand that, again, it is their social responsibility to, to give back, number one. I'm gonna ask you to send us off with, and Lee, I'll start with you and then we'll end with Paul, with how can businesses get involved? We know they can give you a check. We understand that. But what are some of the other ways businesses can get involved in your organizations?
0: Uh, they can vol- They can volunteer. We have volunteer opportunities at our restore. We have volunteer opportunities, obviously, at our construction sites. Um, and then, it, you know, we're, we're looking for partnerships. So we're looking for businesses that really want to work with us to help address um, affordable housing issues on Long Island. And many businesses are in a better position than we are for advocating. And we could definitely use the help with the business community to advocate for affordable housing on Long Island because they need employees. And if employees can't afford to live here, they're not going to get them.
1: Right. Absolutely.
2: Thank you. How about you, Paul? Well, you know, we're very fortunate to have many corporate volunteers who come to the food bank on a regular basis. Of course, it ramps up during the holidays. But similar to Habitat, I mean, we have many corporate volunteer opportunities. Uh, For local businesses, regardless of the size of the business, Uh, there are businesses and corporations that can sponsor food drives. Uh, One of the more unique uh, corporate partnerships we have really is with the HIALI and the uh, food drive that we've done in the past in the summer and this year is morphing in to corporations coming together for Hunger Action Month in September and being able to really call attention to the issue. Uh, and so, you know, you make a donation of $10, you get this very cool t-shirt and staff feels that they're really making a difference in the lives of, you know, a quarter million of our neighbors. So we would just, you know, we, we love when corporate people come here and meet with us. And the other thing is that we're always looking for very good and dedicated and talented new board members. And many of them come from the corporate field. And we always take an opportunity when we have corporate groups here. Uh, in our HOPOG facility to talk to them about ways that they can get even more involved if they'd like to.
1: Yeah. And, you know, some wonderful opportunities, really. Thank you again, gentlemen, for all you do. We're going to sign off. We're a little bit over time, but we had a lot to talk about. Interesting stuff. And say to all of you, happy summer. And we'll be back with uh, Business Steps Up. So thanks again. Thanks so much. Thank Thank you,
0: Terry. Pleasure. You too. Business Steps Up is a production of HIALI, one of the recognized voices for business on Long Island, and a powerful voice and economic engine for regional development. Check back for more interesting, thought-provoking episodes with some of Long Island's most influential business leaders. For more information, call
1: us at 631-543-5355 or log on to HIA-LI.org.